Welcome to the Practice Podcast, conversations probing the nature of practice. I'm your host, Dave Firon. I'm sure you're all familiar with the phrase, talking shop, which is something that tells us that we're in conversation with a person or persons who have the same sort of practice the same sort of interests that draw us to continuing that practice and talking with each other about it. Could be chess players to chess players, mechanics, mechanics. In this case, this is a conversation with an educator, David Firon, with educator Mike Stratton. It seems so comfortable talking shop with Mike. He's done many, many things so far in his still early career that have to do with teaching, supporting teaching, scholarships, designing, programming, you name it. And Mike is either doing it or thinking about doing it. And now he's a leader in a business school. Uh, So that is a whole different realm of being an educator, Uh, fostering the learning climate for faculty and students in a business school representing a hugely dynamic universe called business. What do they know about business that they can help students understand when business itself is changing so fast we can barely keep track? Well, Mike the Educator can figure that out, I'm sure. So here is uh, my my hero, (laughs) Mike Stratton. Well, folks, I have... uh, I've secured a, I've secured a president for us tonight. Are you ready for that? No, not the one who's involved right now running the country, but someone who has definitely earned uh, the title of president in my esteem because Michael Stratton is the president of the Management and Organization Behavior Teaching Society, soon to move on to other <laughs> pursuits in, in terms of his volunteer work. But that's been a huge reason that I've. Uh, uh, been following Mike and, and occasionally trying to help out. Uh, but Mike has also uh, recently become a dean of a, of a business school. Mike, welcome and tell us the name of your college uh, and the school. Thanks, Dave. Glad to be here. Appreciate it. Um, I am dean of the J. Whitney Bunting College of Business at Georgia College and State University, the designated public liberal arts university of the state of Georgia. Wow. <laughs> now, that's a good place to start. First, well, folks, first let me just say, I told Mike before we started, uh, rather than put one or two titles, uh, president, dean, and so forth, into the picture here to explain Mike's practice, there's a much more encompassing uh, way that I think of Mike, and that is an educator, a real down-to-earth giving educator who sees opportunities for extending people's knowledge and their experience and using that knowledge everywhere he looks. And I've known that for a long time. So my educator, let's do a quick piece of Michael Stratton history. Uh, When did you find out that you were uh, unable to be anything but an educator in life. And your folks said, you'll never make a dollar. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, 
I should be driving truck, right? I should yeah. be working at a paper mill. Hauling the, hauling the logs hauling up. The, exactly, exactly. Yeah. I grew up in a small town in Maine, Madison, Maine, population 5,000, um, working class family, first generation college student. Um, my mom told me, uh, do whatever you want to do that will make you happy. And uh, uh, I was the first student in my first person. I, I still identify myself as a student. Um, you are. You're an educator. Uh, you're a student. Absolutely. Um, first one in my family, my direct family, extended family to go to college and um, went to Western New England University. It was mm -hmm. college when I was there. At that time, it was a, a smaller liberal arts university. Uh, now right. it's more of a regional comprehensive. But um I think it was at that time, to be honest with you, in my education that I started to realize that I had this intellectual curiosity um, that, you know, if it weren't folks for folks like, you know, Dale Ferris, Peter Hess, uh, Michael Mirapol, Don Williams, others who who shared with me um, kind of their role model behavior of what it means mm -hmm. to be an educator. Mm -hmm. And uh, after I graduated, I had a short stint in practice. Um, and I remember going back to see Bill Ferris and Peter Hess and going, I, I'm not a big fan of this. I, I feel like something's missing. Yeah. Um, work. And, and so I went to graduate school and it was in, in, in my uh, master's in public administration program at the University of Albany at the Rockefeller College of Public Affairs. Mm -hmm. I had uh, a faculty member, Sue Fairman, who's a, who's a, an alum of management org behavior teaching society who, who took me under her wings as a David McCaffrey. These are, you know, folks from R1 institutions who, who said, you've got a passion for teaching, uh, for research, for service, and, um, help me understand what that meant. And, and, and so during my graduate program at an R1 institution, I soon realized I wanted to be a teacher scholar. And mm -hmm. what that meant was I, uh, you know, I loved the research I was doing, but I really wanted to have an impact on students. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I, maybe I've been a student all my life, which I have been. And, yeah. Yeah. and I, I think that is, uh, that's been a, a considerable part of my identity. And I have to say, if it weren't for mentors who saw the potential, um, I mean, I couldn't, I tell my students today, I, I don't think I would have uh, thought I'd be here where I am today. I mean, a lot of us don't have this sense of confidence uh, in ourselves that we know where we're going to be in 20 years. And, mm -hmm. and uh, I think this is a, this is a prime example of that. But you, you, um, when you were at Asheville, your previous place, we were a faculty member and a faculty leader. Uh, that was uh, essentially the same. It was a liberal arts sort of yeah, institution yeah. with a little yeah. bit of a business yeah. school sort of stuck on the side, you know, uh, and, and yet you had a, a range of motion as I recall, at Asheville, where you were in conversation with people from uh, liberal arts, the sciences, all of that, because it all pertains to a good business uh, uh, development person. Yeah, I, I think at the heart of it, the study of organizations is the liberal arts. Um, mm -hmm. I, th I think at the end of the day, we are cultivating citizens who are, we want to be empathetic, responsible, engaged, and um 
my undergraduate training taught me that I was a liberal studies major. I wasn't a management major. I wasn't an econ major or a political science major. I helped, you know, thanks to my faculty, help create my own major. Create a hybrid, studies. right. Yes, right. Yeah. and uh, multi and interdisciplinary learning. And I think that's what the study of organizations leadership is. And uh, I was at UNC Asheville, uh, the designated public liberal university of, of North Carolina for 10 years. And, um, it was a real experiment for me to, to go through the ranks of academia, assistant associate full, taking on academic leadership positions throughout and, and seeing that we can influence students and, and guide students and mentor students through this, uh, inner and multidisciplinary life, uh, mm-hmm. realizing that students didn't necessarily have to be so specialized and narrowly trained. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, the word training was, was a negative term. Yeah. Um, yeah. and that we wanted students to take courses in classics and biology. Yeah. And during my time there, it was, it was amazing to see the opportunity to bring art students together with management students oh, just yeah. to, to bring, ideas that art students had um, or bio students or chem students to help, you know, engage them with accounting and management marketing students and help those, help them bring those ideas to life. Yeah. Um, that, that, you know, and, and, and that's really what I brought to Georgia college too, is this idea of working across disciplines, across silos mm-hmm. um, that we are not just educating um you know, production workers. We're not just educating those who are, um, you know, there for simply just a job. That these are individuals who need to ask critical questions, who need to challenge authority, who need to think about their their peers in their community, to um, think about their responsibility in democracy. And I'll I'll, I'll say this: I had a, a conversation with a um, a PhD student today who happened to be at Georgia College for a position uh, on campus for an interview. And he asked me, I've never been asked this question by a candidate today. And it was, it was quite influential. And it was probably about, uh, about 10 hours ago. And he said, uh, you know, I, I'm pretty confident. I know, I know what the impact of my research is or research is, generally speaking, on policymaking mm-hmm. um, and the like. But what's the impact of teaching? Of course, you'd think I would ask him that as the uh, dean, president of the Society right? of Teaching, <laughs> right? So, and, and he may or may not have not known that, but um, I mean, I thought it was a phenomenal question he asked. Like, what what impact do we in the classroom have on the students? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and obviously, I think you know, w- with respect to humility, uh, I, I kind of threw it back to him and said, "Well, to your point." Um, that, you know, Dave, that we are still learners uh, ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I said to him that, that at the end of the day, folks may read your article, they may not read your article, you may have impact on policymaking or decision making in organizations. But your interaction with the student on the ground, every mm-hmm. single day, mentoring them, supporting them, listening to them, helping them navigate not just the content in the classroom, but outside the classroom has Mm -hmm. tremendous impact. I mean, just, just from a a network analysis of, of, of of connections and, 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 and from a humanistic perspective, I mean, you were hearing that student, you were, uh, you know, 
understanding where they're coming from, that connection. And throughout my time in higher education, whether it be a student to now, at the end of the day, that's what's driven me is that inner, that connection to the student. And I learned so much from my students. I, I say this all the time uh, to my colleagues that, I, you know, I can't wait to get back in the classroom. Um, <laughs> granted, I, there, are, there are days that I think my classroom is my office, but um, it is in a way I do. I do miss the students. No do you have uh, you're not teaching at this point, then eventually you can once you sort things out. Or, yeah, you know, yeah. So I'm added in into your role. Yeah, I'm in my second year at, at Georgia College as dean, and uh, I will. Uh, at this point, um, I made the decision. I'll teach. I'll teach an org behavior class in spring of 2023, undergraduate. So I'm there you face go. to That's, face. Very excited yeah, about well, that. That'll um, be like that'll be like dessert after a couple right? of years. Plus and it will be and it will be Monday evening, so it will be dessert after. A <laughs> couple of things I want to pick up on uh, from what you just shared, Michael. Uh, first, when you started out, you mentioned. Uh, Mike Bill Ferris and several others who who saw something in you. And now we flip up to the arc of this moment and you're saying that that's an impact the teachers can have, that we see something perhaps that the student doesn't see, and particularly the ones who are a little more difficult to see that, the, the, the more introverted, the quiet ones, mm-hmm. the ones who have had less reinforcement, uh, but to bring them to a, a higher point of self-regard as well as a, a greater awareness with that liberal view that you espouse, that's pretty damn important. Now, let me give you a quick sample of why I'm proud, too, of being an educator. I finished a podcast recording just before supper tonight. Supper. You heard that word? <laughs> Mike and I are both from Maine, so it's not it's not dinner at supper. But anyway, I, I think it's pretty cold up there it is, yeah, today. Yeah, well, yeah, that's what they say. But, you know, they're always bragging. But uh, this young this fellow who's now almost 60 uh, saw me on the that I was doing the podcast and he reached out to me. He was my student 36 years ago. His, his name is Bob Lothry. 36 years ago. And when we get started on this, he's telling me what I assigned. He's telling me some of the little devices I invented. That was my first year there at that school, Central Connecticut State University. And of course, I'm cheating a little bit on this uh, uh, self-promotion because I used to bring him back to talk to my classes. I used to bring classes out to the Hartford where he was building the contact centers. You know, back in the day, they were quite unique, you know, the call-in centers. Absolutely. And I was so thrilled that he remembered. But on the other hand, I'm seeing what he's doing now for these uh, entry level people who come into these contact centers for the big PNC companies running. He's doing this work now for. And I'm thinking, yes, now there is my impact. Here he is 36 years later trying to find all kinds of ways to bring the 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 uh, stakes of being in that company up for these people so they want to stay and they want to grow he's doing all that stuff and chapter and verse for anything you and i would teach out of a really good old right. book <laughs> so that's good that, that's that, that's that's really the way it works thinking that going back to when you were a faculty member at Asheville, do you think of someone you took under your wing and and have you heard from her or him lately Wow. Uh, 
Yeah, I um, I try to stay in connection. Um, it, 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 I had a student. I was in goodness the airport uh, going to a conference in DC probably about a month ago, and he reached out, and um, he's now on the um, our advisory board for UNC Asheville for the department I was in, and. Mm-hmm. He just reached out. He's now um, at a, you know, one of the big five accounting firms, mm-hmm. um, and I hadn't heard from him in a while. But um, he, <laughs> I had him uh, in both my organizational behavior class, but also uh, a seminar course I had taught in organizational politics. And mm-hmm. um, this is this is somebody right out of undergrad and brilliant brilliant kid just so talented i actually was telling him he needs to get a phd in accounting mm-hmm. um and, and i mean he was brilliant in ob and accounting so oh the perfect match for business right, right. <laughs> and uh and um now he was he was just telling me he's like i'm doing great in this firm i love it doing consulting but i really miss I miss the opportunity to dig deeper. Wow. To, 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 and, and I know, and, and he's, he was on this as a, a young alum on our advisory board at Asheville. And he just, he said to me, I remember your classes. You just pushed us, pushed us, pushed us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I was pretty non-traditional in my courses, you know, I didn't give tests. I didn't mm-hmm. do any of those things. Thanks to my mentors. Um, mm-hmm. and, and obviously, uh, I mean, I learned best through, through reading application, writing, reflecting, writing, reflecting, not right. memorization and, and regurgitation. And, right. and, um, no, I just, he, he's one example of somebody who, who reached out, um, and, and, and was thankful. Um, and I mean, one of the beauties of UNC Asheville, to be honest with you, was uh, we had a program, a humanities program, where faculty from across disciplines could teach in this four-course sequence, freshman to senior, mm-hmm. of, uh, and it was, you know, pre-Western Civ all the way to contemporary. Uh, and I taught the senior capstone, which was uh, post-World War II to today. And mm-hmm. I had students from all disciplines. And Must have been I, wonderful. Oh, it was, it really helped define my academic identity. I mean, the, the literature, and, and it was a team-taught course, meaning we, from across disciplines, developed the content and the readings. Right. And right. in the class, in our particular section, we could have our specific exercises, assignments, or what have mm-hmm. you. But working alongside music professors, sociology professors, chemistry professors, all thinking of post-World War II today from those disciplinary uh, uh, areas, uh, yeah, it was brilliant. And to hear from those students uh, to this day that I had, um, yeah. you know, and, 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 and now they're working in advertising or working, you know, or going to graduate school, it's, mm-hmm. it's, been, it's been quite rewarding um but what i think is the most fascinating aspect of this is to hear from students who 
maybe you didn't anticipate hearing from, you know, oh, yeah. those students, oh, yeah. you know, those yeah. students who, you know, they yeah. weren't the A students and, yeah. um, and they reach out on LinkedIn or what have you. And they just, mm-hmm. those students, and I will give Lee Bowman and Terry Deal tons of credit for my work mm-hmm. behavior class. I, uh, you know, and I'm teaching OB in spring of, of 2023, and I will use their book, no matter if it's not a, a current edition or not. Oh, yeah. But those students who who say to me, you know, I'm still I'm still using Bowman and Deal reframing organizations, still using that to this day. It's on my my shelf in my cubicle yeah. or in my office or yeah. at home. Yeah. Um, it's it's really unbelievable. Let's switch. Uh, Let's switch to the back to your your presidency for a moment, not, not even a moment, because it's so important. Uh, very, very early in, in my time, uh, when I was a doctoral student of Petervale, uh, I was hearing rumbles about the need for organization behavior, uh, professors, researchers, to find a, a bit more spotlight <laughs> in a business schools and uh, Peter and David Bradford and M- John Miller and several others. Uh, I think it was after I finished in 74, but it was around that time that they were saying, well, let's, let's just talk about it. Well, let's meet. But what they wanted to talk about was teaching. And they're all on their way to premier publication records and the rest. They wanted to talk about teaching. They were concerned that they couldn't teach the way they wanted to and where this, what the students needed if they were going to be successful in, in, a, in a business uh, or any kind of institution. So anyway, that was way back. And, that, and we talked about it just before we started the recording. 50 years is going to be uh, the current lifespan of this organization behavior teaching society, now called Management and Organization Behavior Teaching Society, with every expectation that it'll be another 50. But in the, quant- in the core of that is what brings people to it from all over the world now is they want to talk teaching. They want to share the, the, the thrills and chills, and there are chills of teaching. They need to feel uh, there's one place where it's okay completely okay to, to brag about their teaching or to share stories about their students like we are. Why would they need that when there's, they're working on all these different campuses? Because it's not always the easiest thing. So the society has played a considerably important uh, role in us developing ourselves as teachers. But where is it now? Michael, where, where is teaching now? And like, what, what is in conversation that's going to keep teaching in the middle of things and away from the periphery. Yeah. I mean, uh, on a global scale, I mean, we're seeing shifts um, across cultures where um, whether it's South America or in Oceania or um, in parts of Europe and Africa where um the pedagogy shifting. And I think we have an opportunity here to learn from each other. Um, and that, and, and the Western ways of teaching, and there are many different ways of teaching, uh, mm-hmm. experiential or, or, or a Socratic method or lecturing, what have you. I think that, I think 
the use of technology, high impact practices and the like are really um, crossing borders. And we're now learning from different cultures about what we can do and what works. And, um, and now that the Management Org Behavior Teaching Society is, is really global, I mean, we are yeah. truly, we now have uh, an area uh, of, of teacher scholars in Oceana, and they've been engaged for years in the Journal of Management oh, yeah. Education. Oh, yeah. um, but, but we're continually trying to, to globalize and understand um, not just what we know and what we can apply, but what is happening on the ground, those particular cultures that we might be able to Mm -hmm. uh, help better understand here. Um, I I think, and as a Dean um, interviewing doctoral candidates, hearing about some of the work that's happening in PhD programs to help prep these students. um, I I think the, the most successful doctoral programs are those who are embedding um, you know, teaching workshops and leveraging their centers for teaching and learning, um, not just giving them an opportunity to be a TA or teaching, of course, but the, the, the preparatory work, giving time for them to learn how to be successful early on as an educator. Uh-huh. Um, not all doctoral students from R1 institutions go into R1 institutions. Oh no! We've known that for years. Yeah, there's for so years. many more opportunities uh, beyond no, those. No, absolutely, and 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 the pressures for those students, um, uh, you know, and not and not understanding what it means. To, I mean, they're coming into an institution that's a teacher scholar model, regional comprehensive, what have you, and they are deer in a headlights and 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 a place like mobts is there for them you know obviously to help develop them and to support them as a community as a network but Mm -hmm. um i i do see i'm seeing a much more um open community of experimentation that this is the time to use the classroom to experiment now i tell my chairs i tell my faculty use this time you know, use your time in the classroom to experiment. You know, yes, you're on the tenure track. Yes, you're being evaluated. Um, but sometimes to succeed and to do well, it takes more than just one chance, one semester, one set of course evaluations. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and but, you know, the course evaluations as they are, and we know how mm-hmm. they are. Mm-hmm. Um, there are multiple points during the semester, during the academic year for you to hear from students, to hear from your peers mm-hmm. uh, about your teaching. And so I actually think we're in a really unique situation where the pandemic in particular has brought us back to focusing on the quality of the student learner, the student professor, learner professor experience. That's um, right. That's right. And, and now we're taking a closer look at that. The students are at least at Georgia College and some of the other institutions I'm familiar with, they were just ready to be back in the classroom. Right. Um, right. And I think uh, talking with, with my faculty colleagues, it was the same. They were ready to be back in the classroom. There, there are limitations uh, to the technology. Um, mm. That's probably a whole other podcast. Um, mm. But that, that interpersonal connection in the classroom 
Um, I don't think we'll ever be lost. I think obviously there's there are different academic markets, educational markets, but um, there's something very special um, about that that interaction in the classroom. And I don't think that's going to be lost. I think that's why uh, Peter and John and, and David and others, uh, Alan, the folks who were very young in their careers, um, uh, but had that that feeling that they de- definitely wanted to make impact as teachers as as well as scholars. I think that that was their concern. And I would say at this point, hearing you, if any of them would able to hear, and certainly if Peter Vale were able to hear you, he'd be saying, thank God, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's it, because if the technology side really overwhelmed, continued to overwhelm the presence that one could have in person with with people who are also learners, co-learners, if you will, it would have been an awful end to a wonderful thing that we we value so much. But I think now it's a matter of mix and match and a lot of yes, more, yes. a lot of more uh, ways uh, to ex- express myself. One thing that uh, a couple of my former students as I've had on the podcast and they go back to their experience and uh, in fact, my David Bradford uh, hour <laughs> last last June was to bring on a former student, Jackie, who was my student 20 some years before and who who's currently doing very wonderful things in, in the field of leadership development. And basically, she would remember whatever possible way that I could get them to use the very arcane uh, technology of that day to be able to communicate across the class and share each other's writings and thoughts. She she remembered it was a pain in the neck. We didn't have nothing like Blackboard then, not even close, but we jury-rigged stuff. And so that was my example of how if you really want to bring technology in, make it an instrument for their learning and and it'll it'll work cool. It'll it'll work great. But hey, one thing about our society all those years that I did attend the conferences we we had a lot of laughs we 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 if we did try something that bombed in a class we'd laugh about it with the students and that kind of candor that kind of joy that's a word we don't hear a lot these days is so yeah. crucial to teaching well, yeah no i think um demonstrating humility to your students is probably so powerful i mean it is it is that you're not the sage on the stage. Yes, Mm -hmm. you've taken all these courses, you've taught for all these years, you have whatever practitioner experience you have, and Mm -hmm. you're coming into, you've read more than they have. Good Um, chance of that. (laughs) But, but no matter if they're a, you know, first or second year student taking org behavior, um, they've been exposed to organizations from the time they were born That's right. and they have experience and their experience matters and they have perspective. I mean, even just their observations of the parents or their family members or their friends, um, they've been exposed to organizations their entire lives as a consumer, as a, as a citizen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I think that is, I tell, I tell my faculty colleagues, junior, especially how important it is throughout the semester to take the temperature of what's happening. Um, maybe that exercise you've been using for years, just <laughs> you just, just is not working with this group for some reason. And yeah. acknowledge it, ask them, 
um, pivot, you know, and maybe, you know, that Tear it up that, right in front of them. Yes. Right in front of them. That, that <laughs> syllabus, that syllabus, right. The yeah. syllabus, the, yeah. is, yeah. uh, is, is a contract. And you say to them, well, now, now's the time to reassess. It could be the fourth week of the semester, the sixth week of the semester. Yeah. At the end of every semester, I conclude with, uh, I take one class period when I was teaching. And I'll probably do it again when I teach in spring in 2023. And it was, I started doing it, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago. And it, it was such a fascinating learning experience where I would ask students four questions. Um, what was the most, um, you know, memorable learning experience in the semester? What, what assignment did we use? What have you? Mm -hmm. What was the most impactful um takeaway from the from the semester so assignment big takeaway what did you learn um what could i have done differently to facilitate your learning and then the last question is what could you have done differently and i would put them into small groups typically i, I leveraged the, the teams we had in, in that mm -hmm. semester and we you know i I'd ask them those four questions and they'd spend, you know, 30 or 40 minutes on it. And I'd bring it back and goodness, how candid they would be. And I had a student um, come up to me after and say, I've never felt like I've been that empowered before that wow. I, and, and not afraid to say what he said, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and obviously, you know, some of the feedback was, uh, um interesting to say the least about things that i had thought you know learned at mobts or other places like this is rock solid yeah this is what i should be doing and then the class is like no we are not benefiting from this whatsoever i mean yeah, i think I it, it. It, it ages you you know you realize yeah, yeah that, look that at my hair and i'm only yeah, 30 exactly that, <laughs> that, exercise, that exercise doesn't work so well anymore yeah. right uh, or that case study and i think uh, more so for improving for the next semester, I think it it as a practice to the students as future managers, leaders, work working with your staff, your colleagues, your associates, what's working, what's not working. Learn that process of questioning. Learn that process of reflecting and continuous improvement. And I know continuous improvement, me as a dean, right? But this idea that oh, it's a reality. What, what is not working, what is working and what is not working, we have to continually ask that question. Yeah. And and as a faculty member, at least we have this uh, structured time frame of a semester or a quarter mm -hmm. or what have you, where we get to ask these questions. We should be asking. Faculty are held accountable, just like any other employee in an organization. And and I say to my junior faculty colleagues and senior faculty colleagues, take that time, take yeah. that time to learn from them. They're spending the whole semester learning from you. Show some humility and ask them about their experience. And, and, and for the faculty who struggle, you know, mm. especially at the beginning of the semester or they had a really difficult semester prior, I encourage them to do it midway through the, the, yeah. the, the semester, really to get to know their students and, and I think as a senior educator in 
in, in my career anyway, I, to me, that has made such a difference. And, and the students have said to me, I know it doesn't affect my grade right now. I know it doesn't affect what we did this semester, but if it can affect this next student, you know, this assignment was transformational or they'll say, this did not work whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Don't do it again. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I, I think what's, what's been, I think the most fun in terms of conversation and debate in the classroom is when they, when we're doing these four questions toward the end of the semester, you'll have a debate between the students, right? Mm-hmm. One group will say, no, this was, this was the best exercise. I learned yeah. so much. And the other's like, no, don't do this again. So well, that, see there, they're, they're, they're actually experiencing what, what the workplace will be will yes. be delivering to them. Absolutely. And, and even as it's evolving into, into new frames. And I, I would say, and so moving into the end of time here, that when I was bringing up Bob uh, and what he was doing with his uh, contact center folks, uh, he put that right there. He said, I am, you know, he's a senior guy, you know, up there. And he said, I ask him constantly, not only how are they doing, but how are we doing? What what can we do better? And he said, you see someone working in Atlanta, um, maybe a high school diploma, African-American single mom, you know, on that phone, having these calls coming in, my house burned down, you know, a truck ran it mm-hmm. and, and with a, a huge emotional labor that they're doing. Uh-huh. And he said, just by engaging her, listening uh, and giving her some freedom, you know, sometimes having to push your manager out of the way a little bit, said it's incredible to see that that kind of someone blossoming out of a out of a stereotyped role where they were, uh, if anything, uh, you know, kind of overhead, you know, if there's only a way to automate, automate the claim calls, you know, we, we would, right. in fact, I wrote a book about that, a novel <laughs> in 2006, Inside Knowledge, because that's what we were seeing. Anyway, sir, I want you to be able to give a plug to our 49th conference, where and when, and, uh, and then uh, one more thought, if you will, about, taking you out 10 years from now. So let's start with the easy one to answer. Where and when for our 49th um, Management Organization Behavior Teaching Conference? Sure. We are going to be at Cal Poly Pomona in Southern California for 49th Annual uh, MOBTS Conference, uh, June 8th through 11th. Uh, We will be there. We'll have some pre-conference activities for our doctoral institute and our early educator institute but the primary conference will be june 11th through uh, uh june 8th through the 11th and then i'll also give a plug to our international mobts right um uh, and that will be june 22nd uh to the 25th so right after our conference in cal public poly pomona we'll be heading off to university of Mannheim in germany wow absolutely uh, this is the first year we're back on the ground after the two years, like most places, we had to do the con- conference virtually. But I must tell you that you and Brandon Chapier and, and others did a masterful job of adapting with very short notice back two, two years ago to going totally online and keeping us together as a society. 
that was crucial to keep us together as a society. And so I'm excited that people who are able to get to this conference will experience living in the dorms and eating in the cafe and all the right. things that made us all quite humble right. and, and very proud, too, of getting to these conferences. Now, where you are, this is 2022, 2032. Uh, I'm going to be older than dirt, but I'm going to come chasing you down and say, okay, another podcast, because I'll be on uh, episode, you know, 265. Sure. Uh, where are you now, Michael, in 10 years? And what are you doing? Are you an educator? I, I will. Uh, thank you for that. I will be an educator. <laughs> that's that's all I'm going to get. And the rest, um, and the rest I, will be you know, making it up as you go along. <laughs> we, You know, I have... Uh, I do don't know. I, I have met folks uh, over my time who have that plan every five years. They know where they're going. And, um, <laughs> you know, there there are days that, uh, that I want to be a provost. There are days that I want to continue on the path in academic leadership. And, um, and honestly, there are days I want to be back in the classroom. I, I, uh, I don't know, 10 years from now, I will be an educator. Um, I, I still, I, I think I'll still be at a, at a liberal arts university, public mm -hmm. or private. Mm -hmm. uh, I think this just core to my identity. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, I, I can't predict that far out, but I will be an educator. And we'll be connecting at the, what, the 10 years from now, the, the 59th. 59. <laughs> um, yes, have you, picked a, from have you picked a site yet for the I, I, you know when <laughs> that's I, the when next I, president's job that's you know when i'm done my term as president i will have close to have been 10 years on the board so i think there's oh, time yeah, for no. for others and i joined the board when i was a junior faculty at unc Asheville prior to the 40th anniversary 40th anniversary of mobts so it has been a tremendous privilege yeah. uh, I, I came to my first conference when i was a doctoral student at, at albany and um thanks to uh, bill ferris and, and sue fairman telling me hey uh go go to obtc what it used to be called and um and i showed up with a suit jacket on and everybody looked at me a little bit oddly uh what was i doing um you know, but as a doctoral student, you don't know. And I was part of the doctoral institute, and it had yeah. changed my life forever. And what what school was that at, Mike? That was at Scranton. Yeah, you know, I was two thousand. Yeah, two thousand five. Yeah, that was yeah. A, that was an interesting con con climbing those hills to get to the dorm. Yes. <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! There was always something, but you know they were right to send you, and uh, and oh, you know, it, it it changed it, my life forever. It was a huge change. I think Jerry Biberman, who hosted yes, that, is Jerry, well, yeah. well into his retirement now, would say, yes. yeah, that was one of the good things I did. You know, Jerry would say that. I <laughs> did would. good on that one. <laughs> he, did, he did very well. Yeah. He did very well. So this has been wonderful. I, I will be uh, turning off the recording in a moment and we'll we'll uh, say goodbye. And, and, and I'm looking forward to the hello when we're absolutely face to face at the 50th. Uh, hopefully it'll be somewhere where I can get a train to or drive to. Uh, we'll make and, sure of that. And we will uh, we'll be celebrating. So awesome. thank, thank you, Mike. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate it. If you'd like to hear more, listen in on Spotify, Automatic, and 
Apple Podcasts or go to inactionresearch.com slash podcasts dash page. And if you'd like to learn more about social inaction and the nature of practice, head over to inactionresearch.com for more information. Thank you for supporting this show. We look forward to hearing from you soon.